Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins with the message. Prepare the way. So let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you want to say to us. We thank you, Lord, that we're not part of a religion. We're part of a relationship with you. We thank you that we can have this relationship with the living God through your one and only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you for coming to the earth. You did not have to do that. We thank you for coming to seek and to save those who are lost. Father, I pray that we would humble ourselves and admit that we're sinners in need of a Savior and that the Savior is not distant, but you're here among us by your Spirit. We thank you, Jesus, that when you went up, the Spirit came down. And we thank you for the filling and the power and the wisdom and the love of the Holy Spirit in this place. Lord, we're far from perfect, but our hearts are eager to know you more. And I thank you for all those who have gathered today in the name of Jesus Christ, because we know you're alive from the dead and we know that you're still changing lives today. And so we invite you into this room by your spirit and we ask that you would do in people's hearts what only you can do, Lord. This is your church. We are your bride. And we ask, Lord, that you would conform us into your image. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, all right, so when we piece together different passages in the New Testament, we find um, that we can discover a lot about the author of the gospel that we're gonna study this year. In fact, we, we can uh, right away learn this. Okay, so if you're taking notes, you need to know that Mark, the author of the gospel of Mark, was a young man who got a second chance and he made the most of it. Mark, a young man in the New Testament who got a second chance, and what did he do? Did he squander that chance? No, he made the most of it. Mark, also known as John Mark, uh, lived in Jerusalem with his mother. And so when the, when the church was born on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, what you need to know is that at some point, Mark's mom became a believer in Yeshua, Jesus, Messiah. And she opened up her heart and her life. She turned from her sins. She received Christ as her Savior and Lord. Mark's mom was a, a lady who understood that uh, she's not gonna be self-righteous and earn her way to heaven, that she's a sinner in need of a Savior. And she opened her life up. And when somebody humbles themselves and does that, the Lord comes in and introduces his power and love to that person. And so Mark's mom, she had a home and she opened up her home for fellowship and prayer. When you get to Acts chapter 12, verse 12, we find out that it was Mark's mom's home where Peter went to after his miraculous release from prison. And so Peter's there, he's miraculously released from prison. He goes to Mark's mom's house, knocks on the door and the house is filled with people who are gathered for fellowship and gathered for prayer. I'm really hoping, I'm really praying that you guys heard Pastor Jacob and you uh, heard uh, Marielle. What an amazing testimony of, of, of a young lady who opens up her house for fellowship and prayer for the last two years and what, what she has seen is a number of 
ladies' lives changed. Why? Because as I said last week, church is so much more than a weekend service. Church is more than a weekend service. Just coming to church, sitting in a row. Church is, is, is just as, as much about circles as it is about rows. And so Mark's mom had this dynamic fellowship. Peter, no doubt, went to that fellowship from time to time. He got to know Mark's mom, and he got to know Mark. And when we read 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, Peter calls Mark, the author of the gospel that we're gonna study, he calls Mark, quote unquote, his son. What does that mean? Scholars believe that Peter's talking about how Mark is his son in the faith. And so Peter, what did he do? He invested in the young man. He led the young man to faith in Jesus Christ. Do you guys understand that you're not born a Christian? Do you know that? Hey, just because you were born in a Christian home and maybe got baptized when you were an infant does not make you a Christian. Christianity is not a religion. It is a personal decision. When you come to the end of yourself and you realize that you are, again, a sinner in need of a savior, that Jesus is your only hope and you cry out to him for salvation. And that's what Peter led Mark to do. So Mark got saved and Peter discipled the young man. When we get to Colossians chapter four, verse 10, we discover that Mark has a cousin and his cousin's name was Barnabas. How many of you guys have heard of Barnabas in the book of Acts before? And so that's Mark's cousin. And Barnabas, no doubt, is the one who introduced Mark to Paul, the apostle Paul. I know everybody knows him. And that's where the story gets really interesting. You see, Paul and Barnabas were part of a dynamic, spirit-filled church called the Church of Antioch of Syria. One of the things that made this church dynamic and spirit-filled was it was a sending church. They understood that Jesus said, go and make disciples, and so we, we find out in Acts chapter 13 that um, this, this group of elders in the Antioch church is laying hands on Paul and Barnabas and sending them out to take the gospel on their first missionary journey. As you continue to read in the Bible, you get to Acts 13, five, and you find out that they took Mark with them. And so here you have Mark, he's a young man, there's Paul, there's Barnabas, they're getting ready to go out on the historic, famous first missionary journey, and they need an assistant. They need somebody who, who behind the scenes is gonna run errands, who's gonna take care of setting up lodging and, and food and, and uh, follow up uh, perhaps on, on new believers, that's Mark. By the way, you may be here today and you've decided in your Christian faith to not just come and sit in a row once a week or, or once a month, but, but you actually took a step and now you're serving here at Calvary behind the scenes, kind of assisting in various ministries around the campus during one of the weekend services. Let, let me just say from the bottom of my heart, I don't do this enough, but as the pastor of this church, I want you to know that we could never continue to grow the way that we're growing. We could never be able to reach the people that we're reaching if it's not for people like you who are behind the scenes serving. And so can we all put our hands together for everybody who's serving and let them know how thankful we are for their service. Praise the Lord for that. 
everybody who's serving in the children's ministry, everybody serving in the parking lot, the greeters and the ushers and the prayer partners and the intercessory prayer team and the creative arts team and the, the worship team and the safety team, the security team and the refreshment team and the people who are serving all during the week. There are hundreds of spots for people to serve. And ladies and gentlemen, we're not gonna continue to grow and impact our, 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 uh, the Treasure Coast until we increase and strengthen the core group of this church. Who are the core group? The core group are people who step out of a row and they connect, serve, grow, invite, and give. That's the core, that's the foundation. And when a church has a strong foundation, that church can go as high up into the clouds and really, really make a difference in their community. And so that was Mark, that was his heart at least in the beginning. Because when you get to Acts chapter 13, verse 13, everything changes. When you get to Acts 13, 13, you're shocked to find out that Mark up and quit. When the missionary team of Paul and Barnabas and Mark got to the city of Pamphylia, the Bible says that Mark abandoned the mission and he went home to Jerusalem. You guys ever heard of the phrase, when the going gets tough, the tough get going? I hope you have that kind of spirit and that kind of heart inside of you. Apparently, Mark, as a young man, did not. He couldn't handle um, the, the rigors and the challenges of missionary life, and so he went home. We don't know, maybe he got homesick. Maybe he missed mama, we don't know. But what we do know is that he left Paul and Barnabas high and dry. So what are we doing in the, the first half of this message? Again, we're piecing together different passages to tell the story of the author of the gospel that we're gonna study this year. And so by the time you get to Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas, they've returned from a very successful first missionary journey and they're making preparations to go on their second missionary journey. And so while they're packing their bags and packing the tents, a conversation ensues between Paul and Barnabas that maybe went something like this. Okay, Barnabas looks over at Paul and says, hey Paul, I think we need to take Mark with us on this second journey. And Paul stops and says, wait, what? Are you kidding me? Why in the world would we ever do that? And Barnabas would say, because I think the young man should get a second chance. And Paul would say, a second chance to do what? Desert us again? And Paul would say something like this, he's immature, he's too young, he's unreliable, he's inexperienced. And Barnabas would say, because Barnabas is the encourager, he would say, yeah, but how's he ever gonna get experience if we don't take him with us? And Paul would say, hey, I don't wanna hear anything more about this. We got enough, enough problems on the mission field, like people trying to kill us. We don't need another problem. And Barnabas would say, yeah, but we really need an assistant. And, and here's what we know, in Acts 15, 39, this conversation between Paul and Barnabas escalated into a heated argument, and Paul and Barnabas, who were like this, got mad at each other and parted ways. Paul takes Silas 
and they go on the second missionary journey, Barnabas puts his arm around Mark, hey man, I got your back, and they go to the island of Cyprus to strengthen the churches there. Now, I'm not gonna say who was right or wrong because both men had valid points, right? I can see Paul's point. Ladies and gentlemen, what is the best indicator of future behavior? Past behavior. If you're an employer, that's why you go back and check references before you hire somebody. That's why you make phone calls to their former employer. That's why you look at resumes because the best indicator of future behavior is past behavior. I can see Paul's point, not wanting to bring John Mark again on the second missionary journey. But I can also see Barnabas's point in letting the man have a second chance. So, okay, so I don't know who's right or who's wrong, but here's what I do know, God is sovereign. How many of you believe God is sovereign over everything? Everything. He's even sovereign over arguments that we get into. Here's why I know God is sovereign, because before, you only had one missionary team, Paul and Barnabas. Now, all of a sudden, you got two, Paul and Silas, Barnabas and Mark, and in the end, twice the work gets done for the glory of God. God is sovereign. How many of you guys understand that even spirit-filled people can get into an argument? Can we just be real? Wow, I got a loud amen on that one. Because <laughs> you've been there and done that, right? But God's sovereign over it all, okay? And so, hey, I see Paul's point, but I love Barnabas's heart. He saw potential in the young man. He wanted to give him a second chance. And how did Mark respond? Once again, he was a young man, he got a second chance and he made the most of it. Barnabas puts his arm around Mark. Hey man, I got your back. And what does he do? Barnabas pours himself into Mark. He disciples Mark, he mentors Mark. And Mark is like a flower and under Barnabas' encouragement and mentorship, he blossoms like a flower. Ladies and gentlemen, it's called discipleship. It's what every church needs. It's what this church desperately needs. I'm gonna say it again. If the extent of your Christianity is coming into a big room and sitting down once or twice a week and hearing a sermon and maybe worshiping some songs, okay, we're glad you're here, but you need to take the next step. You need to be discipled or to become a discipler. And the, the, one of the wonderful environments for that to happen is groups in homes during the week. And so that's why we emphasize that so much. And so Barnabas poured his heart into Mark and Mark made a, a incredible, incredible progress. By the time you get to Philemon 24, Paul's impressed with Mark, even Paul. And Paul says, hey, Mark is a quote unquote fellow worker. Paul's putting himself on the same level as Mark, the one who left him high and dry years before. And not only that, Mark continues to grow to the point that Paul now is in, in prison in Rome. He's writing his second letter to the young man, Timothy. Paul's about to lose his head from Nero, Caesar Nero. He's writing a letter, pouring out his heart. And look at what Paul says to Timothy. Get who? Get Mark, the author of the gospel we're gonna study and bring him with you. Come visit me in prison here in Rome. Why, Paul? 
for he, Mark, is very, not just useful, he's very useful to me for ministry. And so what did Mark do? He made the most of his second chance. Not only did he become, did he become useful to the greatest missionary the world's ever known, according to ancient tradition, Mark went out and he planted a church himself in the city of Alexandria, Egypt. Praise the Lord, man. And so, hey, has the Lord given you a second chance? Has the Lord given you a third, fourth, or fifth chance? Has the Lord given you a fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth chance? Okay, if, if God has given you more than one chance, please raise your hand right now. I'm gonna raise two. Why does God do that? Because he loves you. Did you, under, did you hear that this morning? God loves you. You say, you don't know what I've been doing. I don't care. God loves you anyway. He loves you despite your sin. He loves you despite your failure. He loves you despite your rebellion toward him. God so loved the world. He's a God of love. And he's a God of second chances. Some of you need to hear that. The reason you need to hear that is because it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so God loved Mark and he gave him a second chance, but maybe you're here and God saved you and he's called you, but like Mark, you went the other way. Can I just explain something to you? That God has not moved. He's been standing here with his arms open the whole time. You're the one who moved. You ran away from him. He didn't run away from you. If you didn't get to hear uh, Matt Missiano's message on December 31st called Reckless, I'm telling you, you gotta go back to our website, calvarypsl.com, click on watch, and go down and find Reckless December 31st and listen to it because Matt, like Mark, was a man who made the most of his second chance. And he shares his life testimony, tying it in with the prodigal son um, during that message. And so Matt is somebody who, who ran from the Lord. And um, by, by the way, I'm so glad he's come back and he's come back to the extent to where next week, after every service, all three services, at the end when I'm done preaching, we're gonna call the elders and pastors forward and we're gonna bring Matt up we're gonna lay hands on him and we're gonna ordain him to the pastoral ministry here at Calvary. It's so interesting, I invited Matt to, our, to his first pastor's meeting last Tuesday morning and I had a dream the night before. Now, I'm really not into dreams and if you ever have a dream and you want someone to interpret your dream, don't come to me. <laughs> I'll interpret this book, not your dream, okay? Uh, but I had a dream, very unusual, and in my dream, I saw Chuck Smith. Chuck Smith, if you don't know, is the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement. He's at home with the Lord right now, inspiration to millions of people. And so in, in my dream, Chuck Smith is mad, and he's chasing Matt. <laughs> Matt's running from Chuck Smith. And there I am in the dream, and I'm standing there watching this whole thing, and Matt comes to me, makes eye contact, and runs by me, running from Pastor Chuck, and I stopped him, and I said to Matt, Matt, would you just turn around and tell him you're sorry? And I'm crying in my dream, 
And I said, Matt, you ran from the call to be a pastor. And he shares it in his testimony where the, the pastors at Calvary Fort Lauderdale saw the call of God in his life. And the problem was Matt ran the other way. And I said, but Matt, and I said this from all the pastors, I said, we're so glad you came back. We're so glad that you made the most of your second chance. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're here today and you're far from God and you've been moving in the other direction, what you need to know is that God loves you, his arms are open wide, and if you'll come back to him, he will love you, forgive you, restore you, and he will do amazing things in your life. He'll do that. The most amazing thing that Mark did was write this gospel that we're gonna study here in, in a minute. Believe me, we're, we're getting there, okay? <laughs> a gospel that has touched the lives of billions with a B of people in the last 2,000 years. That's big stuff, because he made the most of his second chance. Scholars believe that Mark wrote this gospel sometime in the 50s. If you're new to the Bible, that's not the 1950s, okay? That's, first century, 50s. And therefore, Mark is one of the first books written in the New Testament. Scholars also believe that it was Peter who gave Mark the information for his book. That fits, right? He led him to the Lord. He discipled him. And now, in the 50s, Peter's sharing with Mark the story of Jesus. The reason we know that is not because the Bible says it's Peter, but because of early church fathers, a gentleman by the name of Papias, who was the bishop of Aeropolis in AD 140. He said that Mark was, quote unquote, Peter's interpreter. 10 years later, Justin Martyr, a, a church father, he said that Mark's gospel contains, quote, the memoirs of Peter. And so as Peter um, shared with Mark the story of Jesus in Aramaic, Mark is there and he's writing it down in Greek and the Holy Spirit inspired the whole thing and 2,000 years later, we're sitting here and we got the book opened up before us. That's what you call a miracle. Thank God for the Bible. And so we're, we're gonna go through this beautiful account of Jesus' life and as we do, we're gonna see that Mark is very fast-paced compared to the other Gospels. In fact, Mark uses the word immediately 41 times. Mark follows Jesus as Jesus goes in quick succession from one event to another event to another event. That's, that's how this book reads. Concerning the style of Mark, John Phillips says this. Mark is direct, brief, to the point of being blunt. By the way, that's, that's Peter right there in the Gospels. He shows us Jesus as a man of action, a worker, and a what? Servant, he includes little discourse and much action. And so in Matthew, Jesus is depicted as the king of Israel. In Luke, who stresses Jesus' humanity, Jesus is depicted as the son of man. In John, John writing to the church, he depicts Jesus as the eternal word, God in the flesh. But Mark, Mark depicts Jesus as a suffering servant. In fact, his, the main verse in Mark is Mark 10, 45. For even, this is Jesus talking, even the Son of Man came not to be served, look at this, but to serve 
and to give his life a ransom for many. So as we're going in the weeks ahead, uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we're gonna see Jesus and he's going around and what is he doing? He's serving people, rich and poor, young and old, men and women, doesn't matter to Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, here's my question to you this, this afternoon. If Jesus, God, coming to the planet, taking on humanity, adding humanity to his divinity, becoming a man like you and me, if he will stoop down and serve people, what's our excuse? You see, we need to become servants so that we can be like Jesus. We can't be looking for the position. We can't be looking for the title. We can't be looking for to be first place. We gotta get over ourselves. We gotta get over trying to impress people all the time. And we just need to serve. Because Jesus was a servant. Husbands, look for opportunities this week to serve your wife. Listen, wash the dishes, guys. Clean out the dishwasher, take the garbage out, do the laundry. And then when you pick your wife up off the floor, because she fainted, she'll know that you're becoming like Jesus. <laughs> Wives, I don't need to tell most of you, because you serve your husbands. That's just, our wives do that, don't they? It's amazing. Is there any husband doing this right now? <laughs> Be careful, I am not bailing you out after service. But look for opportunities to serve one another in love. Be a servant at work. Be a servant at home. Be a servant in your neighborhood. Uh, if, you, if you're not serving, I'm gonna say it again. If you're not serving here at church, serve. There's hundreds of positions throughout the week you can serve at. You just go to our website, click on Next Steps, click on Calvary Serve Team and, and start serving. Man, if we'll just start serving, we will become like our master Jesus. All right, you ready to get into the verse by verse study? Here we go, Mark 1.1. In the beginning, the, uh, sorry, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Okay, so Mark doesn't include any genealogies. He doesn't include the Christmas story. He's blunt, he's just right to the point. Hey, I'm gonna share some good news about Jesus, who's Messiah, and he's Son of God. So he introduces the Messiah, and now he's gonna introduce the Messiah's messenger in verses two and three. He says in verse two, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger. Everybody say messenger. messenger. That's important. Before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And so Mark refers in verses one and two to actually two Old Testament prophecies. I don't know if you knew this, but in verse two, he paraphrased Malachi 3.1, and then in verse three, he refers to Isaiah 40, verse three. Okay, so if you're brand new to the Bible, we're in the first century, you got Mark, Peter's dictating the story of Jesus, and they go back to the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, they go back 400 years to Malachi the prophet, I like calling him Malachi, the Italian prophet, but his, it's, it's Malachi. And it, look, look at the last book in the Old Testament. Chapter three, verse one. God says, behold, I send my what? Messenger. And he will prepare the way before me. 
and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And so every Jew's reading this last book in the canon of their scriptures, and it's 400 BC, and they're excited. Hey, the Lord's coming suddenly to his temple. But how are we gonna know if he comes? He's, he's gonna send a messenger first. When you keep reading Malachi, you get to the last two verses in the book and in the Old Testament, and it says that Elijah is the messenger. Now we go back 700 years before Christ, and Isaiah, God says this through him, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And so the Jewish scriptures are crystal clear, hey, Messiah is coming, but before he comes, a messenger is gonna come to prepare the way. And so this is not just um, in Israel, but man, wherever you look at ancient uh, kingdoms, you see that you have these kings and they would every once in a while get into their chariots and they would travel their realm. But before the king went out, he would send out workers, laborers, construction workers, months before he went to a certain city. And what would they do? They would clear the road. They would make sure the road is as smooth as possible. They would clear away the obstruction of rocks. They'd make the roads as wide as possible. Why? Because God forbid any king has gotta have a bumpy ride in his chariot, right? And then they would uh, send messengers ahead of the king and the, the messengers would announce to the city, hey, the king is coming, are you ready? And so what does that have to do with our text? Everything. Israel's king was coming in the first century AD. And so John the Baptist is that messenger. So if you're taking notes, hey, who's the Messiah and who's the messenger? Well, Jesus, of course, is the Messiah and John is the messenger. And just like construction workers, road, road workers would go ahead of the king and clear the roads of the obstruction of rocks. So John the Baptist came and he cleared people's hearts of the obstruction of sin. And just like envoys would go ahead of the king and, and announce the king is coming, so John the Baptist went ahead of Jesus and he said to Israel, your Messiah, your Messiah is coming. And he, he prepared the way. Let's look at now at verse four. It says, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of, what's the word? Repentance. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And this, this is amazing in verse five. All the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And so John preached in the Judean wilderness, most likely around the north side of the Dead Sea as the Jordan River flowed down into the Dead Sea. And so most of you guys have maps in the back of your Bible, so this is not new to you. Uh, but if you go with us to Israel, the next time we're gonna go is May of 2019, so you got some time to save up. But if you go with us to Israel, we always start in the northern end in Galilee. And so we have a wonderful time around the Sea of Galilee. And then the second half of our trip, we go south. And then what we do is we go to Jerusalem, but then we take a drive out in the bus to that northern end of the Dead Sea, the area where John the Baptist, scholars believe, would baptize people. 
we get out of the bus and we take you down to the Jordan River. And I know some of you are thinking right now, I'm not impressed, right? <laughs> but here's what you know, if you go with us to Israel and you wanna be baptized to rededicate your life or whatever, I'm willing to do that. But I'm not gonna baptize you where John baptized people. We're gonna go up to the southern tip of the Sea of Galilee to a beautiful place called Yardinette. It's gorgeous there. And if you wanna be baptized, you and I will go down into the cold waters of the Jordan and I'll dunk you in the name of Jesus right there in the Holy Land. It's a beautiful experience. And by the way, Yardinette, uh, I heard, was funded partly and founded partly by Chuck Smith back in the 70s or 80s. It's a beautiful, beautiful testimony of our Lord right there in the middle of Israel. And so we're gonna go back now to the Judean desert, that desolate place. Uh, we take you in a bus and we, we park, and by the way, when you're looking out the window, you just see miles of nothing. It's desert, it's wilderness, it's hot, it's arid. And, and I, my thought, the first time I went out there was, who lives out here? Because I was told that nomads to this day with their camels still live in that desert. And we get out of the bus and we'll walk down and, 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 and as, as I'm looking at this Judean wilderness and I'm thinking right now about John the Baptist, my thoughts are, wow, that Judean wilderness is a perfect picture of the spiritual condition of the Jews in Mark's day. Desolate, dry, no life. Why? Here's, here's what you need to know. For 400 years, God said, mum's the word. He finished with Malachi, and for 400 years, God did not speak to his people. But praise God, how many of you guys love revival? Praise God, God is speaking again through the last Old Testament prophet. His name is John the Baptizer. So how did John prepare the way for Christ? He did it by calling people to repentance. And ladies and gentlemen, stay with me here. Repentance is a key component to the Christian life. We cannot disregard or stop preaching about repentance. And so John's calling the people to repent. What does the word mean in the Greek, metanoia? It means to change your mind. But make no mistake, anybody who has a genuine repentance taking place in their life, it's not just gonna be a change of their mind, it always leads to a change of life. People notice it when you're genuinely converted. People really see it when you genuinely repent. Why? Because it's not something hidden just in your head, it's something that you speak and something that you live. There's a difference when Jesus Christ comes upon your life, it happens, you repent. And so John's calling people to repentance in order to prepare them for the Messiah who was coming. John's out there, can you picture him in the, in the Judean wilderness and he's saying, hey, I don't care if you're a farmer or a fisherman, a publican or a priest, I don't care if you're a Pharisee or Sadducee, I don't care, you need to repent. He offended a lot of people. I don't care if you're a man or a woman, I don't care if you're young or old, I don't care if you're rich or poor, you need to repent. I don't care if you're from Judea, Samaria, or Galilee, you need to repent. And if you're willing to repent, I will dunk you into these muddy waters of the Jordan River. 
And what was the result of this kind of preaching? This is what blows me away. Tens of thousands of people coming to the Judean wilderness, no cars. They're either on their camels or donkeys or they're walking out miles and miles into no man's land where it's hot and it's arid and it's uncomfortable. Man, today in in America, if you don't get the temperature in the church building just right, people are complaining and sending emails. (laughs) How desperately we need revival. How desperately we need the Holy Spirit to show up like he showed up in the times of John the baptizer to change people's lives. How desperately we need a revival in this church and a spiritual awakening uh, coming to the entire Treasure Coast. How desperately we need to see people's lives changed, not to religion, but to a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we need to see, a revival. But there's always the prideful who sit there and say, no, thank you. And there were prideful people in John's day. Not everybody got baptized or repented. Why? Because their thought was, number one, he looks crazy, I'm not gonna listen to him. And number two, I'm not gonna become like a Gentile proselyte and get in that water. You see what I'm saying? Um, Let me help you with the commentator that I read every week. His name is David Guzik, he's a Calvary Chapel pastor. He can be found at blueletterbible.com. He said, baptism was already practiced in the Jewish community in the form of ceremonial immersions, but typically it was only among Gentiles who wished to become Jews. For a Jew in John's day to submit to baptism was essentially to say, I confess that I am as far away from God as a Gentile and I need to get right with him. This was a real work of the Holy Spirit. And so some of the prideful religious leaders went out to John's baptism and they're looking down their snobby noses, right? And they're saying, hey, I'm a child of Abraham. I keep the law of Moses. I'm not gonna get dunked like some kind of Gentile convert. So the prideful walked away. They were unprepared for the Lord. By the way, they crucified him. But the humble and the contrite, they submitted and they were baptized. Now I wanna really quick make a clarification note before we move on that John's baptism cannot be confused with Christian baptism, okay? And I'm doing this because we're a local church. We're in the age of grace, the church age. And I want you to understand that there is a slight difference in John's baptism that was prior to the resurrection of Christ. But Christian baptism, you remember they they didn't start calling them Christian until later on in the book of Acts. Christian baptism is after the resurrection of Christ. In John's baptism, here's what he's doing, he's calling Jews and preparing them before the Lord comes. In Christian baptism, Jews and Gentiles together as one in the church are identifying with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen to the word of God, Romans 6, one through four. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I'll let you answer that, yes or no? No. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Yes or no? No. I'm gonna say it again because I I went from 10% to 20%. 
Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Yes or no? No. No. How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we're buried with him in baptism unto death that just like Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we, church, should walk in newness of life. Have you ever heard a, 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 a preacher say, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection when they're baptizing somebody? That's Romans 6, one through four, it's Christian baptism. There is a slight difference. We know when we read Acts 19 that Paul saw some guys who were baptized by John's baptism and he baptized them again. There's, there's a difference here, just food for thought. If you have never been baptized since, please say the word since. Since you made the choice to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, it's a command. And our next baptism will be uh, Saturday, February 10th, 11 a.m., so you got plenty of time to sign up either online or in the foyer or using your connection card. Okay, we're on verse six. We're going through eight verses today. And so look at verse six now. Now John was clothed with camel's hair. It's kind of gross and wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And so while the religious leaders of the day are wearing the best clothes and drinking the best wine, John had a simple dress, and he had a simple diet. If he's out there in the desert and he sees a dead camel, he takes out his knife and says, man, this is gonna be a nice coat. That's what he does. If he sees an animal carcass, he takes out his knife. I'm gonna make a nice belt out of this thing. He sees a locust, (laughs) picks it up, dips it in some honey. Hey, that's good, right? He sees somebody walking there in the desert. As he's chewing on a locust, he screams, repent, right? That's that's the guy we're talking about here in the the Gospel of Mark. Isn't it amazing who God will use in the Bible? Okay, and so I told you already that in the last two verses of the Old Testament, God says, I'm gonna send a messenger, his name is gonna be Elijah. What did Elijah look like? Look at 2 Kings. He wore a garment of hair, hmm, and a belt of leather, hmm, about his waist, and the king said, it's Elijah the Tishbite. Okay, so people in the first century AD are looking at John and they're saying, is this Elijah? He's got the hair garment, he's got the belt of leather. And so the question is, don't answer out loud. If the question is, was John Elijah? And so let's let the Bible answer that question. There's an angel who appears to John the Baptist's daddy named Zechariah before John is born. And the angel prophesies this about John the baptizer. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him, the Lord, in the spirit and power of who? Okay, and then when you fast forward, right before John the Baptist loses his head, Jesus says this about him, if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah, who is to come. It's Malachi 3.1 in the last two verses of the Old Testament, 
He is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. And so, hey, someday when Jesus comes back, the second time, Elijah, one of the two prophets in Revelation, we already covered this, will come to the earth and he will preach and he will be hated. But before Jesus came the first time, John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah, just like Malachi, Isaiah said he would do. And so, look at verses seven and eight, our last two verses. It says that John preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. And by the way, quick side note here, um, when you look at the Babylonian Talmud, just a quick side note, um, the, the, the Talmud is the oral tradition of the ancient Jewish rabbis. Isn't this interesting? They said that all services which a slave does for his master, a pupil should do for his teacher with the exception of undoing his shoes. And so a Jewish rabbi would say to the, the students, hey, you should be willing to, be, to do anything. Should you be thankful for your teacher? Yes. Should you serve your teacher? Yes. But you should never, ever have to stoop so low to undo your teacher's shoes. And John the Baptist says, I'm willing, I'm willing to lower myself and un, undo Jesus' sandals, but I'm not worthy because he's so great and I'm so small, I'm not even worthy to do that menial task that a slave does for his master. And then verse eight, John says to the people, I have baptized you with water. Hey, that's, that's great. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is so much greater. So if you weren't here last week, I'm not gonna re-preach the sermon, but I will recommend the book one last time. If you don't know what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, go to amazon.com, go to CBD, but get R.A. Torrey's 80-page book on the baptism with the Holy Spirit. For some of you, it'll absolutely revolutionize your Christian life because what you'll find is a new dynamic, a new power, a new enablement from the Lord to actually live out the teachings of Jesus Christ and be his witness. And so here's, here's the summary right here. John came to prepare the people for the Lord. How did he do it? A message of repentance. So here's my question for all of you. Number one, have you repented of your sins and turned to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Man, if you haven't done that, you haven't even started your relationship with Christ yet. So that's my encouragement to you. The gospel's not hard. Here's, here's what you do. Are you willing to turn from your sins? If you are, turn as best as you know how and run into the arms of Jesus who's waiting to forgive you and hug you and love you and restore you and cleanse you of all your sins. Second question. Christian, are you living a lifestyle of repentance? And so when you are going through your day and you commit a sin, are you admitting it and quitting it? Keeping short accounts with God. God, I'm sorry I said that. God, I'm sorry I thought that thought. God, I'm sorry that 
uh, I was rude to that person. I'm sorry, Father, uh, for cheating or being unethical. Just keeping short accounts with God. Listen, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. Did you see the heart of your father? He's not angry at you. He loves you. He just wants you to admit it and quit it. And then third and finally, are you being filled with the Holy Spirit? Some people say, yeah, I was baptized in the Spirit in 1963. Okay, has anything happened since then? Because Ephesians 5.18 says that we're to continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Repentance, being filled with the Spirit, that's the way we prepare to meet the Lord. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. Prayer partners, come forward, please. The prayer partners are here for anybody and everybody who has any prayer need at all, mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. They, they, they do such a great job ministering to people after the service. And so if you're weighed down by something going on in your life, man, don't leave until you've come up. As everybody's leaving, you can come up, share confidentially what you're going through, and these people will pray over you. If you're sick and your, bodily, your body's ailing, uh, we'll gather some elders and we'll anoint you with oil. But, but don't leave without getting the ministry that you need. Most important thing is, if you have yet to give your life to Jesus Christ, we're gonna hang out, I'm gonna be up here, others are gonna be up here, and we would love, uh, just take five minutes, share with you what it means to start your relationship with the Lord. And so please, please don't get in your car and leave without having that assurance that Jesus is your savior and heaven is your home. And Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for being a good, good father. We thank you, Lord, that you never move, even though we sometimes do. I pray for that person who denies that you love them. May they know today that your arms are open wide and you're welcoming them home. Thank you for your grace. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Love you guys, we'll see you next week. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at calvarypsl.com. Click on I'm new here, then knowing Christ.